All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. Stargate Daleks, my name is Andrew and welcome to episode number 128, Unnatural Selection from season 6 of Stargate SG-1, written by Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright, mostly Brad Wright, directed by Andy Makita. Very unusual to actually see him in the old headlining role, his role of course is filming all the second unit stuff, so some of the action scenes, or the walking around scenes, or the establishing shots, or whatever. Um, but he does a fine job with all the uh, in-your-face emotional burdens that have to be juggled, and the mission is very important, and various things need to be weighed. He does super well with this episode. Really good one. Um, previously, of course, the information you need for this one is that we've done a lot of blasting of the bugs. Um, there was an android named Reese who was like a partial nanite-based robot that controlled all the replicators, who had a faulty control chip, I believe it was. Anywho, five points for the episode because it features Thor. Um, love those guys. Five points because it features Major Davis, who is in the previously clip uh, when we show Prometheus taking off. Ten points um, because while in the previously part uh, we show Teal'c running around zatting people, and he's wearing the hat, which of course is during in the previous episode he was trying to pass himself off as a human by wearing the hat and hanging out with the Air Force personnel. So there you go, the ten points for that. And, of course, it wouldn't be a um, an opening <laughs> teaser for Stargate SG-1 if an alien didn't show up and say, We have come to ask for your help. It's uh, really all that they do. <laughs> and we see that Prometheus is absolutely tiny compared to Thor's ship. I believe his ship, the Beliskner, crashed, did it not? Didn't it crash into... Something. Wasn't it destroyed or abandoned? Yeah, it was destroyed when Anubis um, got his weapons, his mega weapons that no one understands yet. And um, now, now um, the Asgard can no longer protect their treaty space. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, we get the info that the replicators all have one command that's deeply programmed come forth. <laughs> and so the mission for SG-1 is to, um, is to fly right into the middle of the replicators and activate the Omega-13. That's a reference to Galaxy Quest. And, um, yeah, there's lots of great funny lines at the beginning of this one. It's, you know, Colonel O'Neill, everyone's, <laughs> your entire civilization is waiting for my response. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I thought it's funny. It's almost like that joke from Hot Fuzz. Um, you know, taking all the supplies. Hope you did the paperwork uh, in Hot Fuzz. You know, they're watching action movies, but they're real cops, and they know that you can't kick that amount of ass without incurring a whole lot of paperwork. <laughs> Five points, because Gary Jones is in the episode giving the exposition at the console about what's happening. Five points, because Sergeant Siler is doing the same thing. Um, all the stores have vanished, sir. Um, and, of course, this great, great joke about punch one on the old speed dial. <laughs> and for General Hammond, the number one thing in his life is his grandchildren. <laughs> I don't know why they have a phone. <laughs> these young girls I suppose it's calling their mother <laughs> um, but anyway maybe press 2 then to call the president uh, 10 points because it's an obvious reference or an homage when they talk about naming the X-303 the Starship Enterprise you can't do that can't be done um, it's nice they just said that out loud right <laughs> anticipating all the fans getting on their butt about it. <laughs> We're not doing the Enterprise, okay? We're not doing it. Everyone is um is eating ice cream. Ben and Jerry's. Yes, and I always say there's um there's two people in my life who have never let me down. One is named Ben and the other is named Jerry. <laughs> Teal, when it comes to food, of course, is a it's a very serious operation. <laughs> the old swapping of the ice cream flavors. <laughs> Great little scene. They've got all this time to kill while they're warping through hyperspace. And the old jokes about uh, Jonas. First time going up against a replicator. He must be smiling. <laughs> and they, I, I gave it the points here. Five points for Jonas be saying he's a quick study. He doesn't exactly quite say he, the quote, but he does say he's quick studied his way up to speed. He's read everything. He's been briefed. And he, he's gone through all the notes, so he's ready. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then they get to the planet and they find out the replicators have somehow reversed the polarity on the device and now time is going faster in their favor and not slower to work against them. And let us hope this is the last footwear to fall. <laughs> to the Asgard. Do they wash? You know, they're walking around without shoes. Do they get grimy down there? How's their hygiene? I don't know. Do they just zap it off? Do they live in a contaminant-free environment? <laughs> <laughs> Their whole deal is that they surround themselves with technology, so maybe they're uh, they're living worlds that are hyperstatically charged and free of dust particles. <laughs> Who knows? But one thing's for sure: the Asgard do not wear footwear. Um. Jonas is doing some more quick studying, um, putting together a gun, and I love this. It's just—it's almost like a Rocky training montage, but it's only one scene. But it would be cool if—I would love to see more of this. Colonel O'Neill, before he trusts this guy, Daniel even, um, taking them out around a, you know, crazy training course, um, a military-style training course, uh, <laughs> just. <laughs> You know, you got to get your your pass marks. Um, the the X three hundred three 
or as we're going to call it now, Prometheus. Um, they land on a planet, and it's a rough rocket ship landing. This is very unusual, because SG-1 always travels to a planet through a stargate. They're seldom actually in spacecraft, let alone landing a spacecraft. So that was really cool. And this this planet they go to, there's some serious Matrix vibes going on here. Oh, the lightning, you know, the desert of the real, the the wasteland, the uh, the killer machines coming to get you. <laughs> and then, of course, once they get into that weird temple, they they start shooting at the replicators, and they start shooting all the pillars and the stonework apart, so it kind of looks like the, uh, the lobby shootout from the Matrix. Some serious Matrix vibes going on here. Um, and why is this building made of stone, by the way? This temple? Why does that exist? <laughs> if the planet is covered in miles of, um, replicator chips, how did this temple get up on the surface? And, more importantly, why hasn't it been turned into replicator chips? <laughs> Isn't that what they do? <laughs> they convert all matter into replicator chips? Anyway, it's made of stone. <laughs> okay, five points because we introduce all the replicator human things, the hybrid things, and one of them is beloved guest star Patrick Curry. He plays this guy fifth. He um, he plays that role a couple of times. Um, he comes back, and of course they betray him in this episode. So I'm not super. Um, don't, I don't have a super accurate memory of how the replicator stuff rolls out, shakes out. But um, I do remember that he comes back and he is pissed that he got betrayed. He is bent on vengeance. <laughs> and that's the consequence of this episode, is that they used him, and now they made a very powerful enemy. They were gambling that, that, it, that it was going to be worth it. Anyway, he also plays um, Shaka, the uh, Unas that bonds with Daniel Jackson, for God's sakes. And not only that, he also plays one of my favorite characters in season seven, Eamon Finn, in the episode Space Race, which is an absolutely bonkers episode. Just complete escapism. You know, there's nothing at stake here. There's just... It's just like Stargate takes the weekend off and they all go to NASCAR. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that one. Um, Anyway, he's uh, he's on our list of recurring guest stars, and he's great. And so, anyway, the the replicators—they are replicators. These people who are standing there—they're taking human form now. They're now we're going into serious Terminator vibes. It's covered with—it's not covered with flesh with a good metal core uh, skeleton. It's um it's just made of tiny nanites like Reese, so it can infiltrate the tiny cracks. Um, and then, again, super Matrix vibes when they, uh, put the hand into the head, you know? It's a little bit like Agent Smith, you know, in, in Matrix Reloaded, stabbing people with his hand into their chest, and they clone into Agent Smith again. Anyway, um, what, will we, what do we see inside Jack O'Neill's head? <laughs> it's, of course, the old painful Charlie flashback. And I, at this point, I'm forgetting what his son's name was. Was it Charlie? It was Charlie in the TV show, but it was something different from the film. Um, but anyway, 
and O'Neill says, don't do that again. And it's, it's kind of actually the writers saying, we're not showing this again. We're moved on. Everyone and all the producers are saying, don't, don't do that storyline again. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's this, I'll just uh, tangent. What would be going on in Jack O'Neill's head? Uh, we've kind of seen all this before, like the episode, the gamekeeper or whatever, um, where some, you know, SG one gets locked in these recurring role play simulation thing. But there's this in season six, I must insist you go and watch the special feature that's included with the season six DVD. You can probably find it on YouTube. It's called the lowdown. It's a one hour special made for, um, sci-fi as a preview for season seven and a wrap up of season six. Um, and in it, Richard Dean Anderson is doing his behind-the-scenes interview, and he's just, all he's doing on camera is just playing his ringtone from his phone, which of course back, back then, 2004 or whatever, 2003, it was a basic ringtone, but it was just the, the circus theme song, and Richard Dean Anderson is so happy as this song plays, he's such, like, a and I feel like that that kind of quality that he brings to Colonel O'Neill. <laughs> you know, imagine if these super evil replicators went into your mind to see everything in here. My god, there's nothing in here. It's just this annoying song playing over and over again. <laughs> and reruns of The Simpsons. <laughs> I did laugh at that. Like, what do they really expect to find inside the head of Colonel Jack O'Neill? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and of course, this is noted in the um, the fandom wiki page for this, this episode. There's not four minds to explore. SG-1 is five minds, because Tilt carries a Gould symbiote, and of course it would be great for the replicators to learn all about that that mind. I mean, if they did that, they would learn all about how to control the Naquita technology and whatnot, and that would be <laughs> incredibly valuable. But it's also being very picky, isn't it? Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. So they wake up after the mind probing. They're back on the ship. Is it real? I, I, my recollection of this episode was that it was a fake-out. I haven't watched this episode for, like, you know, seven years or something. Um, I thought it was a fake out, and they wake up on the ship, and of course, at first, this is Teal, and I was like, oh, well, of course, they can't probe Teal because of the symbiote. There's a problem with the blending of the mines, and this one is no good. So they've rejected Teal, and he's back on the ship, and he's going to fly away and rescue everybody. And then I, I was wrong. I was just wrong about that. They were actually back on the ship, <laughs> getting some R and R, some recovery time, so they can be mind probed again. And Jonas, it's time for him to step into Super Daniel Jackson's shoes, and instead of blowing something up, Jonas says, we should talk about this. <laughs> and, and we're all kind of, oh yeah, rolling our eyes, going, uh-huh, here we go again. <laughs> Jonas is a real placeholder character. <laughs> Just basically... This is what Daniel Jackson would have said. He's not around. We'll give it to this guy who's replaced him. Um, 
and predictably, Jack O'Neill is not interested. He wants to blow something up. And then we find out that Fifth is, again, a lot like The Matrix. Um, the, you know, much more like The Matrix Revolutions and Reloaded, of course, but, uh, and of course, there's a there's a fourth Matrix movie now, <laughs> which I sometimes forget exists. Cool. Um, but anyway, the this machine has begun evolving humanity. If the machines keep on regenerating themselves using the power of humans and what they learn from humans and modeling themselves on humans, they will eventually, and as much as they don't want to, uh, evolve some kind of humanity crossover inside them, which makes them susceptible to the power of the One. Um, or something. But as the replicators call it, humanity is weakness. And isn't this guy great? The super evil one, Mr. First. Um, very, very good evil man. I was actually thinking, um, the actor Tobin Bell from, um, he was in the episode Enigma from season one. And he's also from the movies Saw and from many other things. He would also have been great, but the actor they have is absolutely fantastic as well. Like, steely. That's the word for this man. Steely gray hair. A steely chin <laughs> and a jawbone, cheekbones. Steely gaze. A steely posture. A steely gait. And a steely, uh, steely words from his mouth. <laughs> he's, he's just an, an iron man, isn't he? A man of iron, I should say. Um, <laughs> there's no weakness there. I mean, he's, you can imagine what it would be like growing up with a father like that. Ugh, daddy issues. Anyway, we get to the crux of the matter, which is there is no way to escape this one. SG-1 is SG stuck. You who and the only Twitter. way out, they don't have any agency or power themselves. They have to rely on one of the people on the inside taking, you know taking their side, having um, some sympathy for them, and getting them out of the predicament. And so I gave it the ten points for the sexual or romantic tension with Samantha Carter and Fifth, because it's not hit very hard, but um, it's you can see it. You know, they skipped it for time, but it's there. We're all thinking this, right? As they, As he looks at her... With the puppy dog eyes. The big old browns. <laughs> I don't know if he has brown eyes, but you know what I'm saying. Like, he's like, oh my god, I've been living in this dull, gray, lifeless, repetitive, you know, mechanical world. And here you are. You believe in me. You see that I'm special. You see my inner beauty. This guy is swooning hard and, um... Uh, I've I've made this complaint before when it comes to the old romantic tension with Samantha Carter. Women in TV shows uh, are often uh, required to abandon their character at a moment's notice and become a blubbering miss or fall in love or have a child. Um, and in this one, she's... She doesn't all the way give it up, but there's no reason it had to be Samantha Carter. They make a lot out of this storyline. I mean, I'll give a short spoiler here. Um, they come back and they try to basically take over Samantha Carter and clone, replicate her 
clone her, which they call a replicator. <laughs> and it's very funny. And, um, but there's no reason it had to be Samantha Carter. They only do that because there's the possibility, the tantalizing eh, possibility that they might fall in love and have that kind of tension. But if it was Jonas Quinn there, who was the one bonding with Fifth, would it have changed the story? What do you think? Think about that for a second. Um, you know, why did it have to be the woman? <laughs> is what I'm saying. This is hang a hangover from a lazier generation of TV screenwriting and story writing in general. Um, anywho. Oh my god, I just watched Rick and Morty, season 6, episode 3, where Beth which is the mother of the family, Beth was cloned, and one clone stayed home and gave in to her mother, mothering instincts and stayed with the family, you know, the nesting instinct. And the other version of herself went out and abandoned everything and said, fuck everybody, I'm going to empower myself, and became this awesome space warrior who, you know, like a... Like, a, like an old western gunslinger who rides around solo and, you know, saves the world and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about, yeah. Is that Samantha Carter is set up to be one of those things. <laughs> Definitely the space cowboy one. Um, and then occasionally they just need her to give that all up for the possibility of love and settling down <laughs> and being a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in that episode of Rick and Morty, um, the two clones are sexually attracted to each other and start fucking each other's brains out, and it's super weird, and everybody's grossed out. It's really funny. You should watch that. <laughs> Exquisitely funny. <laughs> anyway, how did we get off track there? At the end of the episode, um, Jack O'Neill... And Samantha Carter. They betray him with the old, uh, you know, it's, it's from James Bond Goldeneye. Set timers for six minutes. Six minutes, check. And then setting the timers for three minutes instead of six. It's you that gave me this face. If you don't understand any of that, don't worry, but you should definitely watch the movie Goldeneye, the James Bond film from 1995. It's probably the best one, <laughs> taking all things considered in terms of being awesome. I mean, it's not Sean Connery. It doesn't have that. The 60s charm, but it's got lots of awesome. Anyway, um, so Jack O'Neill knows what he's doing. He's he's bluffing, he's hiding his hand, he's uh, saying, yep, we'll take you with us. And then he's like, he's just outright lying. And so they take off, and Samantha Carter goes along with it. But... Uh, yeah, it's an it's a direct order, and she doesn't have any choice. But uh, um, yeah, she feels bad, and Jonas feels bad, and so at the end of the episode, everyone's feeling bad about themselves for you know they've betrayed the humanity just as it was evolving in these machines, which is not what they want to do. That's what they're doing is they're preaching the humanity message around the galaxy where they find it, um, and so. Jonas says, well, I hope you're right, sir. I hope it was the right thing to do. Yep, I hope you're right. Samantha Carter says, so do I. 
And as we look at Jack O'Neill at the end of the episode, um, and unfortunately I can't give it a push and swell point because the, the scene doesn't end, but there is a big push into him and the emotions, it is unspoken, but we can imagine that Teal'c would also in the background say, as do I. <laughs> and then to, to end the episode on Jack O'Neill kind of mouthing quietly to himself, or repeating quietly, mouthing, as do I. You know? That's, that would be my only note on how to take that, that emotion they dive into just that little bit extra. Put the real button on, on the end. Anyway, great episode. 60 points. Pretty high scoring. Um, lots of fun stuff, lots of great jokes, especially at the beginning. Like, as, <laughs> eating the ice cream and stuff. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice that they, I suppose they've done so many episodes with androids and robots now and simulated life forms that they kind of are not diving so deeply into, well, what is life? Is this thing really alive? Who are we to say? You know, they're, they're kind of skipping the philosophy now and just going on with the action plot. And that's fine. You know, they've done that to death. They did Tin Man and, uh... What was it? Upgrades? Or no, something else. Anyway, you know, they've done that. It's been done to death. Just get on with the action and just blow something up or run away or, you know, whatever. All good. Thank you so much for listening. If you have notes about how I'm going, I don't know. I've been saying you should hit me up on Twitter, but, uh, there's only, you know, there's been a handful of people who do that. Would you rather email me? Tell me your, um thoughts on how wrong I am, because <laughs> I'm sure I'm very wrong about lots of stuff. My email address is creeyuhu at gmail.com, and if you need to understand what I'm talking about with the points, as always, go to the website creeyuhu.wordpress.com, and on Twitter, um, I am at creeyuhu, and um, yeah, what's next? I don't know. I don't know what the next episode is. I'll be pleasantly surprised. I don't have any lists in front of me, so um, it's a Stargate surprise! A lucky dip! Where in the galaxy will we go now? I don't know. See you then.